You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, good afternoon, peace be upon you, and welcome to the first Friday episode of the Drive Time Show in the year 2023, and we thought, why not kick it off with a bang, and the whole gang is here. Boys, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum, assalam. Yes, full house. It's amazing to And you know what? (laughs) Brother Kayum is here. He has graced us with his presence. No drive-by today. No drive-by. It's drive time today. Drive time. On time. (laughs) Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be on you, gentlemen. See, it, 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 you know that that absence has. You know, have, have you felt the calmness and and the and the tranquility in his voice? Yeah, is that a New Year resolution? Can That's you? what to be calm and to be. You know, you lost your mind over the New Year. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was just wondering for a second. No, 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 no. New Year, no me. No, no, no. no new I, I'm just trying. I'm still shocked. 2023. Yeah, uh, absolutely. 2023. Time flies, yeah. man. You know, what well, two? I mean, again, it's just I, I'm still trying to grasp. <laughs> 2023. It's like, wow, what's going on? Where has time gone? You know, a couple of years ago, when we used to like watch social media or you know different movies, they were like, in the year 2025, mm-hmm. exactly. We'll have five cards. We're like two years away from it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when the film 2010 was released, right? And it was 20 years away, yeah. <laughs> and we were thinking. 2010 that's the space odyssey and, and then 2010 exactly. came when and, and went and now we're in 2023 it's like wow still the same <clears throat> well may one hopes and prays that yeah. uh, this year uh, brings everyone peace joy <clears throat> happiness smiles and of course god almighty's blessings for everyone and with the situation that is in the world today um may allah almighty protect everyone i mean um and uh, with that, I think we should start our show. You're absolutely right. So we are talking in the first half of the program about mass extinction. Are we causing another one? Our world has had five mass extinctions which changed the face of the earth. In recent times, human activity and the environment have been key discussion points in the media and shaping global politics. The neg- negative impact we have on the environment has led to the idea that we might be heading towards a sixth mass extinction whereby species vanish much quicker than usual and don't get replaced as swiftly. In the Holy Quran, in chapter 29, verse 61, God Almighty states, And there is no creature that moves in the earth, but it is for Allah to provide it with sustenance. And he knows its lodging and its home. All this is recorded in a clear book. So, from the very get-go, God Almighty has made it clear. And this, again, just to remind our listeners, this was a, a, a verse or verses or a book that was revealed to a man who did not ne- know how to read or to write. In the middle of the desert, in an unknown place to the world, God Almighty revealed to him that this is the world that you live in, who has created it, what is in it, and he knows everything that he has created in the heavens or in the earth, anything that crawls on this surface, anything that flies um, on its two wings in this atmosphere, God Almighty is aware of that. And it is our responsibility, it is our job as trustees, as the uh, creme de la creme, if you want to say, of the creation of God Almighty to take care of this planet. So we are responsible for all living things. We are responsible for the creations of God Almighty. But then the question is, are we then harming them and leading them to become extinct too soon? Just before we kicked off, Brother Guillaume, we were talking about dinosaurs. Yes. 
which, again, if we look at science, um, was there was a little hand of man in there, of course, making making that species extinct. But as we've seen in the last couple of years, the shows that we've done here on the Draft Time Show, the people that I have spoken, we have spoken to, telling us all the same things over and over again, that this is not leading to a good place. This is leading, if we keep going the way we are, if the world keeps going the way it is, and again, His Holiness, Hazrat Mizam Masood, the current caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has also spoken about this when it comes to nuclear warfare. What are we leaving for the next generation? Is there going to be a world, again, 2023? We don't know what the next three years or three months or three hours even hold. You know, it's interesting you mentioned dinosaurs, and yes, we were talking about it, and there's a stark difference between Mm. the, and and you said it, um, the dinosaurs did not self-destruct. The dinosaurs um, um, did not have the capacity Mm. to self-destruct. And, and I was talking to Brother Daniel, and on LinkedIn, there's this, uh, mm. there's this, uh, um, um, it's, it's a climate awareness yeah. um, video that sent, gets sent out where a dinosaur actually comes into United Nations and addresses the assembly, and he talks to humans, and he says, "Well, we didn't, we didn't choose to um, dis- destroy ourselves. Um, it was a meteor that came and destroyed us." Mm. You are creating your own meteor. Mm. You are the meteor, and you are self-destructing. And there is there is there is a very very deep understanding, and there's a deep message of awareness of self-reflection that needs to be done. That's what the dinosaur was saying. Mm. Look at yourself. You are destroying yourself. It isn't. You will never, and the future generations will be. You know, you as Brother Raza said. Um, <clears throat> Future generations will be pointing a finger at you, Hmm. at us, to say, is this what you left behind for us? Absolutely. Let me bring in uh, Dr. Caroline Cox um, into the discussion, who is a senior lecturer, Portsmouth Law School. She's joining us now live into this discussion. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show and a happy new year. Thank you so much for inviting me and happy new year to you and all your listeners too. Excellent. Uh, Dr. Cox, would you agree that we are uh, on a self-destruction, destructive path? You know what, I'm sorry to say I totally agree. I just caught the last little bit of your first speaker talking about the dinosaur coming into the United Nations Assembly and saying you've brought this on yourself and I'm afraid he's exactly right. You know, there have been five mass extinction events The last one was about 65 million years ago, and of course it saw almost all dinosaurs, but it was a natural event. The event happened because scientists believe um, a big meteor hit the Earth just off the Gulf of Mexico. The sixth extinction event, which some scientists believe we are actually in right now, is entirely down to humans and the way we've treated our planet. Dr. Cox, can I ask you about... Um, I the have w- lost Dr. Cox. No, I think she's still on. Dr. Cox? I'm still yeah. here. Yeah, sorry, yeah, still I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> can I ask you about, um, you know, to tell us a little bit about the work that you are involved with uh, to help endangered species? Yeah, my, my work is all about 
the ivory trade. So most of what I do is about elephant protection. And the work started um, back in 2017 when my project started to look at the sale of ivory in the United Kingdom. Now, we don't really think of the UK as being a particularly big consumer of ivory items. But in actual fact, we have a really long history of ivory use here in the UK. Uh, everything from you know the handles on your knives to the portrait miniatures to the keys on your piano, they would have been made of ivory. So we have a really long history. We have some legislation in the UK as a result of our membership of the European Union that meant ivory that came from an elephant that had died before 1947 couldn't be legally sold. But the problem was our project showed that it was actually very, very difficult to tell when ivory was, uh, the date that the elephant died and, and ivory was used from that elephant. Really, really difficult. Uh, so we started to petition and get support for a new act in the UK. And you, your listeners probably know that a couple of years ago, the Ivory Act was passed. So now it's illegal to sell ivory in the UK unless it comes from a very small number of exempt categories. So we were able to protect elephants in that way, stopping the sale of ivory in the UK. We also look at the sale of ivory online, which is a much bigger problem than in the corporeal world. So when you go onto um, a big international auction platform, for instance, you will still find ivory for sale, even though the platform says that they don't allow it sellers will just use another name so they'll say this is a bovine bone piece they won't use the word ivory so my project works with a group of cosmologists who use machine learning and artificial intelligence to look at galaxies far far away and they use the same kind of technique to spot ivory being sold online dr cox do you not think that it would perhaps uh, uh, be better to <laughs> to focus on um, uh, on poaching as opposed to uh, you know the source where where all this uh, is happening uh, rather than um, uh, than uh, trying to look at the demand side of it? You know what? That's a really good point, and there are lots and lots of people who are doing that. Lots of groups who are involved in research to prevent poaching. So, for instance, a really famous one, a really well-known one, would be WWF. They have uh, a lot of really awesome researchers who are out there on the ground working with local people to stop poaching. But, you know, something that I think is really important for everybody to understand is that the illegal wildlife trade is worth a lot of money, mm. around about $20 billion a year. So it puts it on the same kind of level as the illegal drugs trade, for instance. It's worth a lot of money. Do you have and a sense, have, sorry, Dr. Do you have a sense of where the major hotspots are in terms of watching? Um, certainly, it's the Southern African 
range states that are still at the most risk from elephant poaching anyway it's not just elephants of course the illegal wildlife trade includes many many animals but for um elephants we're really looking at Botswana, south africa namibia zimbabwe those southern african range states are the most at risk and it's for a really simple reason they have the most elephants Dr. Cox, you know, all these um, different projects, you mentioned ivory, I mean, Brother Daniel talked about poaching. I mean, for the listener, is it is is the listener to understand that these are small pieces of the puzzle which we talk or which we can call the sixth mass extinction? Is that what what we're leading to? Now, I, th- th- I think that's a really good point, and I, I agree with you. Even the fifth mass extinction that wiped out the dinosaurs mm-hmm. actually happened over a couple of million years. It was a long period of time yeah. that we caused the fifth mass, mass extinction. And there are certainly scientists who believe that right now we are in the sixth mass extinction. What, what would you say to the one, <laughs> to the person who says, well, it's, it sounds fantastic, but this would have happened anyway? Well, there's, they do have a point. Um, extinction is a natural part of the cycle of the Earth. And some animal species end for a really good reason. So one animal that I study as part of the ivory project is the woolly mammoth. Now, the woolly mammoth have been extinct for more than 10,000 years now. You, you're not going to find a, another woolly mammoth wandering around Norfolk. It's just not going to happen. But their lifespan came to an end because their habitat was no longer viable for them. So it is a natural process, a natural process for uh, species to have uh, an extinct period. But the difference between that and a mass extinction is huge. When you're talking about a mass extinction, you're saying not, not one species, is going to end, but many species are going to end. And that's that's really the big difference. Wonderful. Senior lecturer at Portsmouth Law School, Dr. Caroline Cox, thank you so much for taking time out this afternoon and uh, shedding some light on this important topic of this afternoon. We wish you a fantastic evening and a weekend ahead. May peace be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Take care. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Are we causing another mass extinction is the topic that we are talking about right now. You know, we're talking about dinosaurs, we're talking about animals, and now we're talking about humans. Hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure both of you gentlemen will translate it for me, the, 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 the meaning of Ashraf al-Makhlukat. Hmm. What would be the English for that? The, the best we are of the, creation. The, the, best the best of, of the creation. Best of creation. Yes? Yeah. Isn't that what the difference is between all these different species that we're talking about? We have the power, we have the capacity exactly. to think, mm. to know what we are doing. Whereas everything else that we've talked about, I, to our best of our knowledge, yeah. they didn't have that capacity. It's, it's, uh, I think the, the, the thinking power is, is one thing. I mean, every, everything, every living thing thinks for itself in whatever capacity you might think about. But 
I think it's the the connection with the divine, yeah, the spiritual aspect mm-hmm. that you don't find in any other species in any other creation except in in humans, yeah, and that's what which I makes think, it more worse, exactly, which makes it yes. more worse because of the situation we're in. Yeah. Now, with that, we're going to go and move on to our next guest right away. Joining us on the line here is our next guest for today, Professor Bill Sutherland. He is um, a professor of con- conservation biology at the University of Cambridge. Good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show, Professor Sutherland. Good afternoon. I'm pleased to speak to you. Thank you very much for joining us today. If I can ask you, we know that our climate is changing very rapidly. Just, I think, uh, I was listening to the news yesterday, the 2022 has been the hottest year so far, average temperature of 10 degrees. Um, but is this more of a natural process or the direct impact of human activity? So, so obviously there's a mix in the, so there's weather, there's change from year to year. We've had a cold spot, we've had a warm spot, that's sort of, um, that, that occurs naturally. The, the thing, the thing that has changed is that the just the general pattern. And this is what we expect from science. So back in 1896, a Swede, Svente Arinas, he got a Nobel Prize. Uh, he, he produced an equation linking the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere with the predicted change in climate. And that equation is right. You know, we, the carbon dioxide has increased, and as it's increased, it's fitted his equation. So, so sort of science works. And the way you can think about it is that carbon can really only be in a number of places. It can be underground, oil, gas, coal. And if you take it out, it then has to go in the waters, which makes the water more acidic, or it goes in the ground, so trees on the land, so trees grow better when there's more carbon dioxide, or it goes in the air. And if it goes in the air, and we know from measurements that the carbon dioxide has been increasing in the air, then there's this thing called the greenhouse effect, which warms up the planet, uh, and that undoubtedly has been happening. And it's been happening at an unprecedented rate. There's been periods of warming and cooling. We've never had, you know, having 0.18 of a degree warming per decade. Uh, over recent decades and that has never happened before and that is the amount of warming we would expect from the science so everything fits as it's due to um, greenhouse um, gases resulting in the greenhouse effect uh, caused by taking carbon out of the ground and putting it in the the atmosphere Professor Sutherland um, uh, as a student of uh, conservation biology would you would you say that we are winning the war um on conservation uh, no i would say that we're losing the war but we are but we have some successes so there's um uh if with science and policy working together uh as we've seen we got rid of CFCs that caused the ozone hole. You know, that was because the science detected the problem and then the policy was put into place. We used to have DDT, the pesticide, mm. uh, and again, we got rid of that. And, um, and there's a whole range of species. The, the Arabian oryx was um, once extinct in the wild. It just occurred in a few zoos. And now it occurs in a whole range of countries, particularly Oman and Saudi Arabia, but also Syria and Bahrain and Qatar and um, uh, UAE. So there's a whole range of places where it occurs, but it used to be extinct. Similarly, in Britain, the otter, the otter used to be a remarkably rare species, 
but now it's becoming commoner and returning to our waterways. Uh, so we can we can be effective, um, but overall we're tending to lose through forest loss and intensification of agriculture and things like that and loss of coral reefs. But when we put the effort in, we can deliver. So which species would you say um, we uh, we are running the risk of uh, extinction? So a whole... Um, so our tropical forest species, uh, the tropical forests are disappearing very rapidly. Mm. Coral reefs, uh, because, simply because we're um, cutting them down. Uh, corals are de- decreasing uh, because of global warming, because of acidification, because of us just destroying coral reefs in various different ways and polluting them. Uh, so they are two examples of particularly threatened species and habitats. Or in Britain, uh, our peat bogs are a habitat we've, um, uh, we've lost a lot of, and the species associated with peat bogs have become much scarcer. So, so when there are habitats which are um, under demand for other uses, then the, the species associated with them often have problems. Would you, would you say that, um, that the governments around the world um, have got the seriousness, understand the crisis? I mean, we've had, what, 26, 27 cops. I've lost count. Um, do you think enough is being done? So the climate... So there was a climate COP and a biodiversity. The COP is Conference of the Poverty. There's, um, in rapid succession, there was uh, a, a climate meeting uh, in Egypt and then uh, a conservation meeting in Canada and China jointly. The, the conservation meeting was probably more, the more successful one. And their governments made some fairly serious commitments. But particularly what was really interesting is that business got involved and businesses have have sort of changed from being, you know, looking at it skeptically to realizing that they need to deliver and need to be part of this. So the fact that businesses turned out in force at the biodiversity meeting and showed real interest is to me uh, one of the more encouraging aspects of what's happening. And in terms of government, some of them have shown commitments, some of them haven't. It varies quite a lot. Wouldn't you say that the two are interlinked, the COP and the, the con- conservation issue? I mean, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm going both ways. So, um, so climate is, climate change is a great threat to biodiversity, mm. you know, particularly uh, northern species, species of high mountains, etc. Um, but also nature is part of the solution. So maintaining tropical forests, maintaining peat bogs, maintaining um, uh, grass habitats with um, all of those are important for reducing the impact of, you know, reducing climate change. Are you optimistic? I am an optimistic person. (laughs) I think... um, So we've just produced this book, um, Transforming Conservation, a practical guide to evidence and decision-making. And the the main message that came out of that is that there's two things we need to do. We need to be much more strategic and, and think ahead as to what evidence we need. And we need a cultural change, so we need to take evidence seriously. And I think if we do that, and there's some evidence that we are doing that, then then we can look to a more optimistic future. 
Wonderful. Professor Sutherland, thank you very much for joining us today and uh, for answering some of the questions that we've had today. We wish you a fantastic evening and a great weekend ahead. Thank you so much for, for joining us today once again. Like, likewise to you, and thanks for the interesting questions. Take care. Goodbye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Now, the question we're asking you on our Instagram poll is, which animal is most endangered? Okay, yeah, this this is this is, this is an interesting one. We 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 pulled out every every kind of um, source in the book to find the most rare species in the world. So rare that most of us probably won't even be able to won't be able to even now pronounce the names. All right, so correct me if I'm wrong here, boys. Um, the first one is a gorail. Then it's a kakapo. Uh, the third one is a saolo, and the th- fourth one is a vaquita. Now, just for the benefit of everyone out there, a gorail is basically like a. It looks like a uh, a fish eating crocodile. Alternatively, please press question mark on your remote control <laughs> and change language, and, <laughs> and you will get the translation of all these animals. <laughs> a kakapo is a flightless, nocturnal, ground-dwelling parrot. Right, a saolo or saola is basically looks like a how would you call that? It's a mammal. It looks like a deer, deer type. Um, and the last one, it looks a lot like a dolphin, but a lot smaller and averaging 150 to 140 centimeters in length. Okay, so a parrot, uh, a deer, and a dolphin. That's, the, and, that's and, a, and a crocodile. And a crocodile. And a crocodile. That's yes. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, Enjoy answering that question. I think it will add to your general knowledge. You might want to have to use Google on that one. All right. Now, the first mass extinction we spoke about occurred around 443 million years ago, which wiped out 85% of the species at that time. I'm I'm one of the 15%. (laughs) Who survived. (laughs) You called yourself a dinosaur this time yourself. None of us did that. That's on you. Although I, 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 I've yes. been, I, I, I really wanted to, you, but you, I was. You, you know what's going to happen now. I, 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 I am more than happy freehand. to start 2023 with knowing I'm a dinosaur. Now we, we, because we, I would much rather be a dinosaur at keep, this moment. Keep in time. the age jokes coming. It's all on him today. Now, scientists think that the cause of the Ordovician Silurian mass extinction was lowering temperatures and the formation of glaciers, which vastly affected sea creatures. The next mass extinction was the Devonian, which occurred 374 million years ago. And during that period, there were fluctuations in temperature, both warming and cooling. Sea levels were also altered, as well as levels of oxygen in the atmosphere. What exactly triggered the extinction of three-quarter of the animals in that era is not yet known. Then we come to the third mass extinction, the Permian, which happened 250 million years ago, which was the biggest extinction event from the major five. Only around 5% of species survived it. Now, there are varying theories about what caused it, such as you know an asteroid hitting, hitting the Earth or a volcanic eruption intoxicating the seas. Um, we will still have to find out. We still don't know. And aren't we lucky that uh, mm-hmm. we have somebody in the studios who saw all the three? <laughs> the first I, three oh, I, I, I remember. Oh, lo- I remember. I, I Standing remem- ovation for you, by the way. I remember. Oh, it. I remember it like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be in his memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> then we have the Triassic mass extinction, which took place only two hundred million years ago. It eliminated eighty percent of the species around in that time period. You see, there's always these five percent, fifteen percent, ten percent. Yes. yes. What, what's the secret? 
What's the uh, secret? It's, it's called believing yeah. in God. <laughs> <laughs> Having faith. Having faith. And laughter. <laughs> Now, unfortunately, in our times, we are witnessing drastic changes to the environment and climate. Uh, as we've just spoken to some of our guests, there are a number of species that are critically endangered and scientists have linked it to human activities causing changes around us and ruining habitats. Though temperatures and sea levels have always changed in the history of the Earth, these rapid changes have come about since the Industrial Revolution. Things like CO2 emissions, land surfaces being altered, etc., etc., all done by human hand. Things leading to soil degradation, deforestation, freshwater resources also overused. All of this never seen before because, simply put, we knew what to take and what not to take before. Okay, I kind of want to bring it back to, I know, fantastic events and and what not um the history of of these events is this something that is inevitable as dr cox said in in you know to be honest i was quite surprised with the answer no okay, that that I, in some species it is inevitable because of the habitat and what not uh, yeah you know it, i i think we have to take her comments in in, in the full context in of context. what she's trying to yes. to say uh, i think um, and, uh, and and it's it's valid to say that it's um it, that these are some events are natural and you know as part of the natural cycle some species will be extinct agreed but we we i don't want to be in a position where we are talking historical events and we are kind of raising a a challenge or a problem or however however we want to kind of rephrase it but what's the solution mm. um isn't the problem at the moment in the world we're living in that you know be it politics be it uh, uh, scientists and or be it everyone's talking about what the problem is mm-hmm. and of course i'm not <coughs> saying that that uh, i'm not saying that uh, solutions aren't being uh, uh, discussed but clearly isn't the problem that the solutions are we haven't uh, uh taken the next step from lip service i think that's that's definitely partly and um partly partly true and that's um the question i was trying to ask uh, dr sutherland earlier as well that you know we've had 27 cop meetings hmm. or 26 or 27 27 whatever, yeah. 27 yes and um and and and, and you know in cop 26 what Uh, in, in the previous one uh, the one in glasgow what really stood out for me was that we were clapping because for the first time there was a mention just a mere mention of the word of the words fossil fuels mm. <laughs> in the draft in the final agreement mm. and and that was a cause for celebration in cop 26 it took 26 of uh, 26 meetings just years to, or whatever exactly hmm. to to arrive at that hmm. so i mean this so clearly the 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 drive isn't there to it, do this it, is it well there, there is uh, absolutely there is no consensus um around this there is uh, there is certainly no drive uh, we've gone uh, uk as a country has gone back to exploring uh, fossil fuels we've um, uh, you know there's uh, there's a lot of talk in the press about a- that and in this cop 27 they talked about again financially compensating countries you want to call it whatever you want to call it and 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 you you hit the nail on its head when you say talked about because yes. that's exactly what it's been there exactly. is the size of the fund has not been defined how it will be distributed it's not been defined it's not been de- uh, decided how the funds will be generated as well so yes it has been talked about Lip that's service. it yeah. and that's the problem so let's go and talk to our next guest and see what is the next step we've got with us director of overseas projects for the Aspinall foundation we have got mr amos 
Uh, courage, good afternoon, welcome, assalamualaikum, and peace be on you. Yes, hello, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Um, your charity has worked to preserve rare and endangered species. What do you think is the best way to protect them? I think habitat protection. I think protecting their um, ecosystems and their um, their homes. Um, however, you do you can do that, and usually that involves working with people who live um, in and around them and uh, trying to um, increase their idea of the value that's generated um, um, by by having them. Um, Amos, the, the, we were just having the discussion. I'm sure you you were listening to me and Brother Daniel were talking about. There is a lot of talk about protection of everything. Why are we so slow uh, in putting the, the words into action? Because I agree with you protecting the habitats, but even to protect the habitats, policies need to turn into implementing of these policies. Is that actually happening? Yeah, I think it is. I think as um, countries become richer, you know, there is a general um, increase in the uh, understanding that, you know, natural, um, that wildlife and, and the habitat need protecting. So, and I think, you know, that that, that uh, that's just, that's a continuing process and and we have to keep on at it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I have cause for optimism. I think that there are a lot of good projects out there. If you think of a species like, the mountain gorilla that that um, everyone knows and everyone's seen um, Attenborough sitting there with them. Um, you know they were they were down to their last hundred um, in the 1920s, and now there's nearly a thousand of them. So you know there there is cause for optimism. It can be done, um, and yeah. Uh, Mr. Garage, are you equally optimistic about another species called human? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I I'm not one of those uh, Malthusians who think um, you know we're a, a, a virus and uh, you know a, a plague on the earth. I think that um, yeah, I think again, I think uh, if conditions can be improved for people where a lot of biodiversity uh, live, then you know we can. Um, so you we so can you, help protect um, their yeah, habitat. You think enough is being done to to protect our environment, to protect our... Um, um, our existence. Uh, our existence uh, for future gener- generations, really. I think we're going in the right direction. I think if you, uh, you know, you, you um, see how much progress has been made in the discussions, I mean, you've just been having discussions about, um, um, you know, our, our move to net zero. I think, yeah, we are. We are... Um, you know, um, carbon emissions have been flatlining for the past 10 years. I mean, they're obviously, um, mm. they're still an issue, but we're dealing with them. And I think we, we have actually um, made enormous progress in the last, you know, 10 years. Okay. So what more, in, in, in your opinion, needs to be done to, um, uh, to protect this important species that called, called human species? I think, we, as we all know, we're all we're all uh, interconnected. We have to uh, we have to um, move towards a uh, you know a more carbon-free existence. We have to help protect um, the rainforest. We have to protect biodiversity. We have to you know these aren't kind of new and revolutionary ideas. Mm-hmm. We just have to 
we have to um, um, build up the momentum. Um, Mr. Mr. Garage, I, I, I take my hat off to you on the optimism. I agree with you. It's good to be optimistic. There needs to be a positive drive to to think. But as a, I'm not that I'm being skeptical about it. But from what I see out there, without political impetus, there is not going to be any improvements on a bigger scale because that's what's needed. I mean, what is it that you know that you're so optimistic about people who are making decisions? Because it's money, action, and politics that will drive the benefits. And and now it's also about the time, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. I mean, when, when, when you look back uh, 20, 30 years ago, you you could say, okay, we have 10 years to to solve this issue. We have 10 years to work on um, certain issues, but the way everything is spiraling out of control with populations growing, with industries growing, we don't have that time anymore, do we? And and, and the effects of climate are being visibly seen yeah. around the world. So even in your in your work, and you know, when you look at these overseas projects, what have you seen? Um, uh, and, you know, when it comes to this, and that makes you so optimistic about yeah. it. Well, I work on a on, on a much smaller scale than, mm. um, than than I think what you're talking about. But I mean, you know, the, the Aspinall Foundation are specialists in reintroducing and um, endangered species and restoring um, natural habitats. So mm-hmm. we've reintroduced um, lots of different species. We've reintroduced about a hundred lowland gorillas back into about a million acres mm. of protected area in Central Africa. And that whole area, just by reintroducing a keystone species like the gorilla, has has just increased in terms of biodiversity and um, and everything else. Mm. And we now see elephants regularly. We now see the whole area has just increased. So it, it, that's a cause for optimism. It's on scales like that that I work in. Mm. And in Indonesia, we reintroduce um, sharp and gibbons into water catchment areas, which are very important for for local for, for cities in Indonesia on the island of Java and we help protect them and that helps generate you know clean water mm. and, and protect the water source so those sort of things that I see on a daily basis mm. but I also you know I follow the debate you're talking about and I do think that we are in danger of listening to the catastrophists because they have the loudest voice you know Greta Thunberg <laughs> the uh, stop oil all of these guys they're not measured they don't um, know the science they don't read the ipcc reports or even the summaries and if you look at them if you read them i think the direction of travel is encouraging um miss courage you talked about the elephants you talked about the gorillas the listener out there thinking well how does that benefit me or the environment that i'm living in so what's what's what 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 uh, um uh, would awareness of this encourage more people to... How would awareness of this encourage other people to do their part? And what is their part? Well, I think on, on a local level, the people we work with certainly uh, benefit from from the work that, that we're doing and, and the work we're engaged with them in doing because it increases, you know, natural-based um, services and you protect water sources and you... Um, facilitate tourism um in our case you know, we've we're, we're the biggest tourism venue in um 
Congo and the Republic of Congo, and uh, that provides jobs. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see it on that sort of a level. Otherwise, you know, it's to all our benefits to um, to um, reduce our carbon emission emissions, and and for obvious reasons. Excellent. Uh, Mr. Karish, thank you very much for joining us. I salute your, your optimism. Um, I, I just uh, hope and wish that uh, that uh, it's contagious. It, that it becomes more <laughs> contagious like, um, <laughs> than it, it, it is uh, at the moment. Unfortunately, um, you know, some events that we see around us um, don't give us that much optimism, but, but I, I respect it. Uh, Wonderful. Thank you very much for thank joining you. us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Just for the benefit of the listener... Brother Daniel, you've just come back from Pakistan. Mm. The floods in Pakistan. Yeah, devastating. I I read this commentary a couple of days ago, and it baffled me. Mm. The monsoon is the norm in Pakistan and yes. India and that region. Yes. It was 700 times more than normal. Wow. Normal rain. Yeah. 700 times more worse. Absolutely. People don't understand when they say a third of Pakistan is underwater. Mm. It still is. It's a big country. Exactly. Huge. A third. Now, until these rains and the floods had happened... Just to give our listeners a perspective, it's mm. a country of 250 million people. Yeah. Yeah. UK's population is about, what, 75, 77 million? 75, yeah. Yeah. And until these rains had come and the flood had happened, you you wouldn't... I, I would have agreed with with Mr. Courage and yes, I salute his optimism. But it's when you see those images, Hmm. you think, and when you read that number that the rainfall was 700 times more, not double, not triple. People say, oh, it's rained more. It's never rained like this for 10 years. But in one season, it rained 700 times more. That's not normal. No. Absolutely. I mean, you, uh, closer to home here, you talk, uh, you know, you just look at the climate here. They, we've had, what, the hottest um, uh, yeah, summer? Yeah, 40, 40, 40 percent, 40 degrees. Never, never heard of it. Absolutely. I mean, just look at these temperatures. We've, we've, we've never experienced them. We've never even heard of them. Look at the uh, the forest fires in Amazon, the fires in, in Australia, the fires in uh, in U.S., uh, uh, the floods you've already talked about. I mean, there, there are major things happening. But one thing that Amos Courage did say, and I agree with him, the, with, the, the, in line with the optimism, is that we have to be optimistic. Yes. We have to be you positive. You have to. There's no we other way. We have to look forward. We have to look for. Again, it's the solutions that we need to be looking at. Hmm. We need to be, instead of kind of regurgitating the, the problem again and again in oh. different formats, which is what's hap- been happening at the mm. COPS. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> His Holiness Azim Azamasun, the Caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, said at one occasion, Allah the Almighty says that excess of everything is bad. If we are not following what the law of nature requires from us, then the ultimate result will be that we are going to ruin our future. We are going to doom ourselves and our generations. Every country has their own vested interest. They are not thinking about their future generations. So apart from properly planning how much fuel emissions should be allowed and how we can control it, alongside we should encourage and even enforce countries to plant more trees so that air pollution becomes less. And in this way, it will help us reduce climate change. This was just one of the things that His Holiness mentioned when it comes to playing our part. Our next guest for today uh, is from the Chester Zoo. Mike Jordan is with us on the line. He's an animal and plant director at Chester Zoo. Mike, good afternoon. Peace upon you. Welcome to the Drive Time Show. 
Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today. So first, I want to make this, um, you know, just wanted to find out uh, we're going to have free tickets to the Chester Zoo next time we go. Is that why you've asked me on the Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you very much for your time, Mike. Um, Chester Zoo is playing its part in preventing animals from going extinct. Uh, I want to ask you to tell us a little bit about the work that you do. It's not just as usually people think that you go there you look at some animals and that's the end of it there's so much happening behind the scenes isn't it there absolutely is i mean the the very first thing is that uh, at the zoo although people think zoo and animals we actually are a botanic garden as well so at mm. the zoo we work with more than three thousand different types of animals and plants that's about 600 animals and, and nearly two and a half thousand different plants uh, and and so it's a massive operation that's going on uh, and, and you're right people who come to the zoo you know often associate us with being uh, an amazing day out and a family place to come and, and that's wonderful but our mission is preventing extinction and so it's about so much more than than the visit of, of anyone on that day and also about more than even just the education coming to us and learning mm. about the environment a lot of what we do is actually working with some of the rarest animals and plants uh, that are left on this planet Give us some examples, uh, Jordan. Of course I will, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, a really good example, and this, these are t- I'll give you two examples, actually, that show the real range of things we work on. So uh, very large, charismatic, iconic animals like black rhino. So we run the European black rhinoceros breeding program. That means that, that we manage nearly 100 black rhinos. That's about 10 or 11 at Chester Zoo at any one time, but we also manage all the other black rhinos that are that are in other large conservation zoos that are working with us so that's that's like the normal zoo aspect but on top of that we work in southern africa on training teams in anti-poaching and setting up dog teams we work in kenya and in tanzania uh with the kenya wildlife service forestry service again on anti-poaching uh, we fund a lot of survey work. We run a lab with Kenya Wildlife Service. And so just when you take one species like a black rhino, people may think we you know, we keep it at the zoo so they can see it. Well, it's so much more than that. We keep it at the zoo to preserve a population, to work with it in the field. And, and the culmination of some of that was, was literally just a couple of years ago, we sent five black rhinos back to Rwanda as part of a reintroduction program. Mm. So, that, so there's one example of a whole suite of things. And if I give you the other extreme, uh, we work with a lot of species that people don't even see at the zoo. We work with five different snail species that are right on the edge of extinction, yet, believe it or not, there's some snails, not hmm. not the everyday garden snails in the UK that, that gardeners curse, but we work with two species of Bermudan snail that were thought to be extinct. And in the last three years, we've sent more than 100,000 snails back to Bermuda for release of those two species. So that gives you some idea of the scale of operation mm. we're doing. And that's as well as working with the Bermudan government and so on. So, so you can see right across the spectrum from kind of snails to rhinos, we're working with, we're trying to conserve and keep these species on, on the planet. Some people would 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 question, why why is it important to protect those snails? Well, I, I could just hear you, you talking previously. I was, I was listening to you talking about obviously the the, the scale of environmental disasters mm. that are that, that are happening. Well, yeah, our, our planet is is a very finely balanced mm. thing. You know, everything on it is is 
critical and, and crucial to its existence. And so for us, it's not about us trying to prioritise, it's about us trying to say, let, let's keep every little element. And lots of people think of perhaps, you know, our planet is like a house of cards. How many things can you lose before the failure is catastrophic? And I could hear you talking about some of the climate issues, you know, and the incredible... Mm-hmm you know, 700 times monsoons, rainfall and so on. Well, well, just just thinking about it, you know, every little snail, we think, well, perhaps that doesn't count. But there's probably already been more than 10 species of snail gone extinct on Bermuda. These are the last two. Well, what happens when they lose their last two native species of snail? You know, what else relies on those? What feeds on those snails? What what do those snails do to the palm trees? Because, you know, they live on a pandanus palm. You, you know, and, and it's that interrelatedness of nature that never ceases to amaze us, which which means that everything is is important. You know, I'm as concerned about the dung beetles that feed on black rhino dung as we are about the black rhinos. So if black rhinos go out of Kenya, what, what happens to the multitude of dung beetles that then also eat dung of other species and help maintain the savannah? So it's this finely, finely balanced engine the earth and then that's why us conserving every element of it i I believe is absolutely Mm. so important mike you mentioned working with the bermudan government generally speaking how how is that relationship with 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 governments is there enough um interest is there enough focus on uh preserving certain species or you know their environment etc yeah i mean hey many different countries governments vary but but for a lot of a lot of countries there, they're quite overwhelmed with the, the biodiversity and the climate crisis that they're facing. And they're after all the help they can get. So often they welcome uh, help. In fact, more and more now we're finding they're, they're coming to us and talking to us and saying, can you assist us to do this? Because they, they know they have, you know, they know they have their governmental commitments to things like the, the COPs, which has been you know, talking about COP biodiversity, COP there's been, uh, the climate change COP. They, they have their commitments to that, but also nationally. I mean, this wildlife is, is their countries and the whole world's asset. Mm. And, and for a lot of countries, they need all, all the support and assistance they, they can get to conserve that. And so what we often have to bear is those skills and expertise and staff. So so we quite often get asked to, to intervene. We're now working on... Uh, with the Portuguese government, actually the Madeiran government, we've worked with the Spanish government, South African government, more and more governments around the world uh, are, are turning and, and looking at good conservation zoos mm-hmm. like us at Chester to, to help them uh, really conserve their biodiversity and, and help try and avert this crisis that there's no doubt is a crisis that we're under. Lastly there, for those not working with animals, will looking after the environment be enough to, to help save them? Well, I think the important thing is for for all of us to do to do whatever we can. So so we, we at Chester Zoo, we, we work with some of the things that are so on the edge of extinction that if we don't do something immediately, that, that species will disappear. Mm. But we also know that the environment in general uh, is deteriorating. Even things that are common are declining. And so it's not always just about, you know, people like us working with the most threatened species. It's about doing the small things that help conserve the populations of other things, you know, looking after hedgehogs in the UK, looking after, you know, the insects in your garden, feeding the birds, doing things you can to help prevent climate change. All of that adds together. And so whatever whatever an individual can do with the resources and the skills they have, if it's directed in the right direction, it's, it's 
got to be helping. It, it's got to be better than sitting back and doing nothing. Absolutely. Mike Jordan, Animal and Plant Director at Chester Zoo. Thank you very much for your time, Mike. Great to talk to you. And again, from all of us here at the Draft Time Show, thank you very much for joining us. Have a great evening and a wonderful weekend ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah. Peace be on you. All right, that brings us to the end of uh, this part of the program. His Holiness, at one other occasion, speaking about this issue, he says that um, climate change is a problem everywhere all across the world, especially in the third world countries where the population is increasing dis- dis- increasing disproportionately. Just to accommodate the increased population, nations are developing new residential areas, and because of this, forests are being cut, and this deforestation is a major cause of climate change. So you have to be very particular that whenever one tree is cut, two trees should be planted in return. He continued to advise that fuel consumption should also be reduced. Now people have become so lazy that if they want to go from one place to the other and the distance is only 100 yards or 200 yards, instead of walking to the place, they use their motorbike or car. And this way, pollution is increasing. There are so many other factors which are also causing pollution and climate change. So we have to be very careful. Although we cannot say that because of the fear of climate change, we should not have children. Chester Zoo, did you know it was a drive-through zoo? Ye- I didn't. Yeah. It's actually a good place Just, for the kids. Yeah. Is it? Oh, you've been there, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's um there's quite a few um, I you know, there's quite a few zoos um when we were growing up here in the earlier days before Legoland. Mm. Legoland used to be Windsor Safari Park. Mm. It was huge. Really? Huge. But now there are so many different mm. um different zoos that uh, I think there's five or six. Um, just um, in, in uh, that I'm aware of, definitely I I, I would say um, it's 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 a good educational trip yeah. and a good family event. People should go. Um, I think Chester Zoo has got about twenty one thousand animals. Wow. They Ooh. look after. Um, um, I think, uh, um, but uh, it's definitely a, a good educational um, um, trip. To be taken. Yeah, I'll ask um, a brother uh, here when he's uh, going on his next uh, trip up north. Uh, <laughs> I, if, I thought, if, I if thought not, we agreed it's, it's, it's his day today. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't let that one go. <laughs> so, yeah. So perhaps you can take us uh, on, course, on your next yeah, trip yeah. up north, if, uh, if, not, uh, <laughs> if not abroad. No, no, uh, ooh, ooh. If not outside. No, no, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah. You see, he disappears. So, well, you see, we'll, whenever we'll he disappears... Of, we'll talk about this at the break. There's, there's something... When he disappears for a day, it's a, it's a national event. Yeah, it's a national when he disappears event. for a couple of days, it's, it's international. When exactly. somebody comes after four weeks, it's, <laughs> it's a huge event for me. <laughs> All right. Allah the Almighty knew that the bodies of those animals which are now extinct will be useful for human beings. One example are fossil fuels. This is the mercy of Allah the Almighty that he created some animals or some life on this earth. And now that life is extinct and now human beings are benefiting from them. This is another quote of His Holiness Hazrat Mizam Masood Ahmed. So now we started off the show with a verse from the Holy Quran. And again, it comes back to what we were saying throughout the program here as well. Uh, lip service, yes, all good and fine. And it's you know, hats off to all the guests that we've spoken to today and the wonderful work that they're doing. But ex- it's, it's, extreme work needs to be done. There's especially our part that needs to be played. And what exactly that is, it's not just about talking. It's about uh, putting things into perspective and putting things into uh, and implement these things. Here are the 5 o'clock news. We'll be back after that with a second topic. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. 
and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam. Today, with myself, Reza, brother Daniel, and brother Kiyum, we are going to move on to the second topic for today, and that is about religion. Does it make us happier? And healthier. Certainly in the case of Brother Kiyum, he survived millions and millions of years. <laughs> and what? Five extinctions? <laughs> as I learned, survived as five extinction events. Yes. Must must be your religious thing. Yeah. Clearly, clearly tonight in this studio is You're the right. sixth one. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so we all know life is never easy. However, this shouldn't and doesn't stop us from striving to make life as fulfilling as we can. The people around the world are caught up in the hustle and bustle of the culture that our society thrives on and although this can lead to happiness it also leaves a sense of dissatisfaction in life while only chasing their material goals many spare little thought on how spirituality might be the key to attain true happiness the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him uh, said wealth is not in having many possessions rather true wealth is the richness of the soul. In other narrations also says the richness of the heart. Now we can turn to the multitude of self-help books and podcasts to improve our mental health and well-being and go to the gym to become physically fit. But there's also a third to uh, third support system that we should take advantage of and maybe even prioritize. And that is the religious side or the spiritual side. In the beginning of the year or the end of the year, people always have this uh, New Year's resolution to work on their physical body. Why not work on that spiritual body as well? If I can, if I can put that question back to you, mm-hmm. uh, you're an imam, brother, and uh, you've you've obviously sacrificed. Um, uh, you've, you've committed. Your life. You've, you've committed to uh, to serving the cause of religion for um, uh, for the rest of your life. What role, um, how how does religion help you in your day-to-day life? In everything. Um, I think I came to this conclusion at one point when when I was contemplating and I, this, it's a, you know when you are at one point in your life and you think about the future and you see yourself going a certain direction mm. if you don't change the way you're 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 going at the moment mm. this is exactly what i think what happened with me at one point we're talking about i think it was like what 18 19 at that point um and and i and i saw not that i had a vision or something of 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 some some sort but i just thought about this and i sat down for like literally it was like 5 minutes or maybe 10 and I and I looked at my life. I'm like, you're doing this. You're gonna keep doing this. You're not gonna end up in a good place. So I I, I at that moment, I think that was the first time where I decided and I thought to myself, no, you're gonna have to change. I'm gonna put a question to both of you. The title is religion. Hmm. What would you say if I say to you, I don't like that word? Yeah, I I, I can understand what you're saying and where you're coming from. Imam? Um, I think if you like the word or not, that it doesn't make a, a difference. I think it's it's about the what what religion brings. What religion? What's but, the definition of religion that people have in their minds? The, exactly. That's my point. We always use the word religion, but we never ever talk about it like you have just explained the word. Hmm. Because by the time we finish the word religion, everybody switched off. Hmm. 
Yeah. Isn't it time for us to define it for what it is? It is a way of life. Mm. It is a religion. No denying that. I'm not saying it's not. It is a faith. It's spiritual. Spirituality. It is being in touch with God. But it is a way of life. Is it not? Yeah. If you if you think about, for example, there's two, uh, one word, very, very misunderstood, Sharia. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at Sharia, for example, or even the word um, madhab, hmm. right? Uh, it's used in the Arabic as well, yeah. as well as in the Urdu language. They both have the same kind of meaning. It's a path, it's a way, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a direction to life-giving water or, you know, to, to a certain destination hmm. and that's exactly what religion does right i mean it's it's this connection it's this road between our life this the 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 physical as to the spiritual life and that's exactly what what faith what religion what prophets have have shown us have given us that if you do these certain things then this pathway will open up for you which will ultimately b- will be filled with thorns but the end goal will be happiness. And, and to answer your question, uh, Brother Kayyum, absolutely, religion to me, the other word for religion, a better word for religion to me is spirituality. Mm-hmm. That, you know, this, this path that you talk about, this way of life that you talk about, everything is there so that our souls can, can, be, can, be, can be better, Cleansed. can be more enriched. Yeah. So it's all about spirituality at the end of the day. You know, our prayer, our, um, you know, there's the, uh, there's a verse of the Holy Quran that, that, that says that you know, my life and my death and my prayer mm. and, um, um, and my sacrifice is a, in the way of God, is a, so that my soul can, can become more enriched. So it's all about spirituality. Because I, I sometimes find it strange. People say, well, you must be religious. What does that mean? If one follows the fundamentals of a faith, that doesn't again maybe in in my head it has negative connotations on it or the definition of when somebody or in the society we live in no the, the person asking that question has has exactly. definitely has a negative negative connotation in his mind yes because religion because you know religion to most people to most people actually in the world is devoid of any spirituality oh uh, thank you 100% agreed it's Agreed. just yeah rules. Yeah. It's just rituals. You it's do. Just, yeah. just, you do that, and it, you don't. Absolutely. It's just rituals uh, for them. It just actions. it's lip service. It's lip service. It it has no no meaning and it it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't touch their soul. That, that's I think it's a it's one of the biggest problems that in, if you live in a world where it's always about uh, what's the what's the result. It's yes. result oriented. You have to have. You know, concrete results. What am I getting out Instant of it? Instant gratification. Instant gratification. Yeah. And and what what am I getting out of it? What what do you get from religion? Hmm. What what is there that religion can give you? But but the thing prove is, it to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, the proof is 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 in the eating. But I think the result is uh, is is what you uh, announced in the beginning of the um, of the program, which is that it makes you happier and healthier. Yeah. That's that's the result for me. But religion has to come from somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, we're Muslims. Religion to us comes from the Holy Quran. Yes. And the Holy Quran comes from? God Almighty. There we go. So, when we talk about does religion make us happier and healthier, we can't talk about this topic unless we talk about the Holy Quran. Yes. And... The Holy Quran, and then the reason I mentioned that is something I, I, I was listening to this this uh, it's a documentary uh, 
um, about why more women <coughs> are converting to Islam than men. Mm. Um, apparently, there's about 100,000 uh, women who have converted to Islam in 2022 in the West. Right. In, in the West, they were talking specifically about the West. Mm. And they said 70% of 100,000, sorry, 100,000 people have converted to Islam, mm. out of which 70% were, were women. And, and there was this, this lady, I was, uh, she was a doctor. And she said, I, I read the Holy Quran and, and the Holy Quran connected. Spoke to me. No, no. She said it connected everything mm. from Prophet Adam yeah. to today, who I am as a human being. There was, there was a chain link. And she says, what I, what I can't understand is, why is it that this book has never been um, why nobody had told me about this mm. book had mm. been saying why this has mm. this been uh, the best kept secret from me yes <laughs> mm. and that's the fault of Muslims is it not uh, I'd well but partly partially yeah. definitely uh, Muslims are to blame partly for that uh, for a number of reasons but I think uh, I, I'm sorry I don't mean to blame I'm just saying it, it intrigued me that she said I'm 40 odd years old mm. and I never knew that this book had said these things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is it is an amazing book and and for any for for our listeners who uh if anybody hasn't read this book, this is the only holy book that you will find which is actually in first person. It's not That's in third right. person. Yeah. It's mm. it's it's not like uh, other religious texts, uh even the gospels, may I say, uh which are in third person. This is in God is speaking to you. Uh, as as you said, Brother Razali, mm. it 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 speaks to you, so it it does have a massive impact uh, on you uh, when you because God essentially is, is is speaking to you. So when you read it, so I if anybody hasn't to to to, to uh, you know to uh, the point that you were making earlier, uh, Brother Kayum, if anybody hasn't read this book, mm. to your point, please do. Yes, most definitely. And there's so many there's so many commentaries on it now, mm. which. Which, uh, again, it, it, look, um, all religious scriptures, um, they're met, they're metaphor, they're, 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 you know, the translations, mm-hmm. you've you got to be able to focus, you've got to be able to understand what you're saying and, and, and give it a deeper meaning. Because, especially from, from the Holy Quran perspective, because Holy Quran is a book which was revealed 1400 years ago and it will be relevant and uh, present till the end of time it will be meaningful mm. till the end of time yeah. so to understand what uh, you as an individual irrespective of which 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 walk of life you come from i can assure you if you read this book it will touch some part of your life mm. where you you will feel that uh, element of um, connectivity Depen- which make you happy but you have to have that open mindset of course you have to go in with the right intention but the but this is the thing most people keep open minds about yeah, everything yeah. they do in life but why do they close it when it comes to faith hmm. which they do which is based on their experience up to that point only, or, if, only in faith, but not when they do in work, yeah, yeah, in yeah, education, no, no, no. in the way they live their life. Oh, open-mindedness. And, and that's 
I think that's where the answer to your earlier question probably lies partly, which is that I, you were asking, where is the blame? That's right. I think, I think it's the conditioning of the people and it's the media yes. which has conditioned the minds of, uh, of the modern uh, people here uh, in the West especially. And that conditioning is what is uh, partly responsible. It's, it's, it's a trend. I mean, if you look at it, I, I, I've noticed now, we're not generalizing things, but I'm specifically talking about this fast-paced social media. So mm. we're talking about these Instagram platforms, uh, TikTok and whatnot. Mm. It's, it's demonizing when it comes to anything that has to do with religion. This is my, my, my perspective. Yeah. Again, I might be wrong, but anything that you base your values and your opinions on your religion, doesn't matter what, which religion it is, we're not talking about Islam specifically, we're talking about religion, if yeah. it makes you happy and healthier, then it's people think about it automatically, oh, this is, this is old, why, why connect this? Why, and and why what I find this? interesting is people are not looking for that happiness and then healthiness in defined religion, but no. they are redefining religion to make yeah, themselves yeah. happy and then healthy. That's it. Now, here with us to talk a little bit more about this topic is our first guest for today. Dr. Harold Koenig is with us on the line. He's a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the Duke University and the director of the Center for Spirituality, Theology and Health. Good afternoon, P.C. and Welcome to the Draft Time Show, Professor. Oh, Doctor. Yes. Hi there. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us today, first of all. Um, you have reviewed a significant amount of research on the relationship between religion, religion slash spirituality, and both mental health and physical health. Now, looking at mental health specifically, what were your findings? Do you find or did you find that religiosity led to more positive or negative outcome? Was there a relationship? Was there not? Well, um, the research is, is pretty clear in indicating that people who are more religious tend to be healthier. They tend to be healthier not only mentally, but socially, behaviorally, and physically as well. So, um, it, and certainly with regard to mental health, there, there is a lot of research that is, you know, growing in terms of volume, showing that over time, people who are more religious experience uh, less depression. They experience greater well-being, um, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you think that is, Doctor? Well, I, I think there are several reasons. One has to do with um, the beliefs themselves. Uh, people who have strong religious faith, strong beliefs, that life is more meaningful. It, it's just, it makes more sense. They cope better with the stress of loss and change and death. Uh, it gives them hope. It gives them meaning and purpose in life. So it makes perfect sense. Would you, um, you know, uh, talking, going back to the discussion uh, the three of us in the studios were having earlier, would you differentiate between theology um, slash religion and spirituality? I actually, as a researcher, do uh, am concerned about the term spirituality. Mm-hmm. Spirituality now is being being used. It's a, a very popular term yes. um, because you know it doesn't bring in necessarily religion because mm-hmm. religion divides people, whereas spirituality is something that's kind of common to all. But in terms of research, um, 
you know, we can't measure spirituality because everybody has a different definition for it. So since you can't measure it, you can't quantify it, you can't look at the relationship with other health outcomes that are quantifiable. So um, spirituality is something, is a terminology that's used great in clinical settings. But in terms of conducting research, it really, uh, if anything, research shows that those who are spiritual but not religious have worse health. Um, And that's very true in England in particular where this research comes from. Would you say, doctor, that people who are religious are spiritual? I would say that. I would agree with you. Hmm. And in fact, traditionally, the term spirituality was a term used to describe the deeply religious person. Hmm. Hmm. That has all changed Hmm. now. That has all changed in the last 30 years. Um, Dr. Koenig, you you just mentioned, you use a sentence, religion divides people. Um, Does that not mean that in the true definition of the word, it's being defined incorrectly? Because the purpose of religion is to bring people together. I would agree totally. I would agree totally. But, you know, the thing is that we have different beliefs. Now, (laughs) I do think there's a tremendous amount of commonality here. (laughs) But the beliefs, you know, people who are passionate about their particular faith tradition, the beliefs do differ. And, you know, and that's that's sometimes difficult for people who are not very flexible. You've got to be flexible in your beliefs here, because my belief is that God is trying to reach everybody. And he cares for everyone. He does it in different ways, though. But that's the point which is similar, which is common in all faiths, that God is trying to reach everyone. So why don't we start from there instead of looking at maybe the different belief systems, which which actually appear a lot later on in religion or the meaning of the term religion? I mean, that's a good point. Hmm. That is a very good point. You know, when you... When you focus on loving God and loving your neighbor and you put those two together, I mean, you can't go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's irrespective of what yeah. walk of life or which, whichever walk of religious belief you come from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dr. Koenig, sorry, brother. Um, I think we've already established in this conversation that, um, that being religious um, is equal to being spiritual um, or... or um being religious can lead to spirituality at least um you've also mentioned doctor that um religion um research has proven that religion uh, can play a big part in your over in one's overall well-being if that's the case doctor my question would be why is religion so unpopular well you know religion does expect things from people you know, spirituality really doesn't. Yeah. You know, you kind of, no, you can believe fantastic. whatever you want to believe there. That's but, so you know, true. religion's got some rules. Hmm. And those rules, in fact, are the key aspects that lead to better health. Hmm. It's those rules that people need to follow in terms of treating each other, in terms of living a life that is, that is you know, that is, uh, that, that, that is, praising of God rather than doing things that our natural impulses drive us to do that are just harmful largely to us. So true. So true. Why is religion 
not known to be a force for good in the world today. Even like if we have scientific proof, as you've just mentioned, exactly. that it can lead to both mental and physical health and well-being, why, why is that evidence discarded then? Well, you know, I, there are certainly instances where religion has been used in a way that has caused problems. Mm-hmm. There are instances where, where people who, it's, it's, it's the problem of his people. It's not necessarily yeah, the religion. Yeah. It, it's, been the best tool, it's been the best tool to cause war, and I mean tool to, yeah. to manipulate people over history. Yes, to, absolutely, to mobilize people and so that they're willing to give their life for their faith. It's used, people are used in that way. Um, by by unscrupulous leaders and uh, that want to control other people and dominate people. So, you know, that's the problem. And, and that's where religion has gotten the bad reputation, because something as powerful as religion can be used for good just as well as it can be used for bad. But do you think it's uh, it, that aspect, that negative aspect has been highlighted uh, a lot more than the positive aspect. I mean, this research that you've talked about uh, is 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 almost news to me. And I am in. I work in well, Voice of Islam. <laughs> <laughs> there is no question that religion has got a bad name in the media, uh, which tends to be more liberal. You know that basically uh, the media. Uh, wants to kind of free people, but instead of freeing them, it can enslave them if they talk bad about religion, because religion really is about freeing people from all of the enslavement that their drives naturally put them under. Exactly that. Um, Dr. Koenig, in what way can religion, act, act religiously, um, active influence the physical health of an individual? You know, uh, it does it through a whole set of different mechanisms. One, actually, it does it through the benefits, the psychological benefits, which have consequences in terms of the physical health of people. It does it by enhancing the social interactions and the quality of the social relationships and it does it by affecting a person's behaviors in terms of how well they take care of themselves and how well, you know, the respect that they have for their body. So by these three different psychological, social, and behavioral mechanisms, it's, it's not surprising that, that religious involvement affects many aspects of physical health as well, including blood pressure, risk of heart disease, cancer, and overall longevity, which has been firmly now established by the Harvard School of Public Health in a series of studies published in mainstream um, medical journals. Dr. Koenig, um, I don't mean to be impertinent, but can I ask, do you practice what you preach? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, that's a great question. I'm Christian, of course. And I, but I have many, many of my best friends are in the Muslim community because I go to Saudi Arabia frequently and do a lot of interactions with 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 Iranian investigators as well, and and, and Muslims all over the world. So um, I do. I in fact, in fact, I don't know how I could live 
without my faith. I don't know how each day I could survive without my faith. Dr. Koenig, one um, element that we were discussing, Brother Raza and Brother Dania, was in order for truly to practice what you preach, one needs to be open-minded. Would you agree with that in respect of religion? You know, I think people do need to be open-minded and flexible, but not so open-minded that their brain falls out. <laughs> okay. Now, you know, my, my, <laughs> my, my, my question on open-mindedness is, irrespective of what religion one comes from, one thing is for sure, and we've done numerous programs on this on this uh, uh, radio station, on everyone is waiting for one person. Um, some people call him Messiah, some people say Buddha, some people say Confucius, some people say Krishna, some people, you know, everyone within, within their respective faiths is waiting for someone to come and save the world. Should people from all faiths be open-minded enough to know that maybe the Messiah is going to come from another faith to unify everyone? That's very interesting. That's a fascinating question. And, you know, I think think we all need to practice our faith in a devout manner and uh, let God be God. Mm, Yes. You know, we... Uh, don't know everything. <laughs> we have to be very humble hmm. in that regard. Only God knows everything. Only God knows what his will is and his purpose. And he shares that with us to some extent, but we still are not God. Dr. Koenig, given what you said about um, the brainwashing uh, by the media against religion, um do you think, despite all the benefits of religion or being religious or being spiritual that we talked about, we're fighting a losing battle when when we talk about um, making religion more popular or being making being religious more popular? You know, I don't think we are losing. We are fighting a losing battle. Um, the reason is because the research helps us in this regard. When mm. you do objective observational studies, what you find is that it's religion that makes a difference in people's lives. And as countries become less religious, we're going to be seeing increasing rates of crime, substance use disorders, um, you know, more depression, more anxiety, simply because religious belief helps people. It's good for people. That's the thing. And Mm. You know, as it, as the world becomes less religious, people are going to not be so uh, healthy hmm. or happy or socially connected with one another. So I, I think we are not lo- we're not fighting a losing battle here. And the mere fact that young people like you all are trying to engage people in discussions on this topic is evidence that it's not a losing battle. Thank you, Dr. Kennedy, for calling me young. <laughs> we have a dinosaur here. <laughs> we have to make a cl- correction here, which we will do in two, just a little bit. One dinosaur and two young people. <laughs> Dr. Kennedy, thank you so much for taking time out this afternoon and broadening our horizons. Such a pleasure, Dr. Yeah, Kennedy. And wonderful. absolutely, I think, I, you know, we, we need to get you into the studios one day. Yeah. And, and we need to do a great full, start to the year. Full, full one hour interview with you. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll make that happen. Wishing you a fantastic evening and uh, weekend ahead, sir. Uh, Peace be on you. Thank you.
Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for uh, allowing me to speak to you and for everything that you're doing. Thank you. Such a pleasure. All right, that was uh, Dr. Koenig, Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Duke University and Director of the Center for Spirituality, Theology and Health. Got some questions for you, Mm. Brother Rosa. And this is from our young producer. And she asks, um, this is from Zohra. She says, we must strive to follow in the footsteps of the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And looking at his exemplary life, which he led, what can we learn about the importance of physical health from the Holy Prophet, may peace oh, and blessings of Allah be upon him, because we are talking massive. about a, a healthier life. You know, I've a couple of years ago, I thought about this very carefully, and I came across a few narrations which put everything into perspective. You know, the revelation of the Holy I might have mentioned this here on, on, on the Drive Time Show as well before. The revelation of the Holy Quran itself. You know how that happened? Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Like, I mean, there's different ways of how God Almighty revealed uh, verses or the text of the Holy Quran to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Now, to put this into perspective, the, the people around the Prophet at that time, they report that sometimes we would observe the Holy Prophet and we would know that right now he was receiving revelation. Hmm. And it... There's sort of there's different narrations. One narration goes that we were in the middle of winter. It was cold days, and we saw all of a sudden that uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had sweat on his forehead, and and it was extremely cold at that time. Another narration was from another companion of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which he says that I was sitting right next to the Prophet, and his knee was on my knee. So, you know, when you sit down and on, on the ground um, and you fold your legs, so his knee was on my knee or was touching my knee. When he started to receive revelation, I thought that my knee is going to break. That's how much pressure was was being exerted on my, on my knee. You think about this, that this is now a, a creation. Although we believe him to be the greatest of all the prophets, he was just a man, wasn't he? He lived, he ate, he slept, he was tired. He was human. He was human in every way possible. There was nothing um, superhuman about him. Supernatural about supernatural, him. Supernatural, sorry, so supernatural. Now, he is communicating, or the creator of this entire universe, which is still expanding up to this day, which are proportions we cannot even imagine in the in the wildest of dreams. That being is communicating with one of his creations. So that pressure, that that physical toll that it took on his body is something we cannot imagine. Mm. I mean, when people have true dreams, right? As 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 amazing as it is, you wake up and you have this awe of the of the divine in you. You have uh, sweats uh, running down your spine because you've just witnessed something extraordinary. Now, if he was not physically healthy, if he was not physically well, there's no way on, th- on, on, on this earth that you can receive revelation the way he did. Not over a day, a week, a month, a year. No, we're talking about 23 years where he received revelation on a daily basis. Not just specifically about the Holy Quran, but... He was in communication with God Almighty. That is not possible 
in impossible if you don't have that physical health um, to receive that revelation, to communicate with the creator of the universe. So that was just one example that that I thought about. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. he must be some some super strong person. Otherwise, there's no way that you can endure that on a daily basis for such a long time. And of course, you have these other uh, incidents when when it comes to the battles, when it comes to how they survived in when 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 that uh, boycott happened of the Muslims. I mean, for. For months and months, thirteen years, not thirteen years. I think it was three years, two or two the or three years. Was, yeah, two, yeah. Two, two, so, two in, in to to survive on almost nothing, how in in the middle of the desert, you have to have have some sort of physical strength. And I think you you, you touch upon a very important point, and uh, and that point is that the, this interconnectivity between physicality yeah. and spirituality. You know, our, our our bodies and our our minds or our spirits are hugely interconnected, yeah. and that's why whenever he was receiving revelations, even though it's a spiritual experience, he was physically moved. And you give a very, very beautiful example there of dreams, both good and bad, which have a physical effect yeah. on us. Yeah. And and I think ultimately that is the point that as as a religious person. As a as a Muslim in this case, that you come to this to this conclusion or to this point at 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 one point in your life where both of these things are so interconnected that it doesn't have a negative impact on each other. I mean, if, when when it comes to fasting, Ramadan is approaching. Isn't that what it is? In the beginning, it's difficult. Your physical body is saying something else that yeah, I need to put more effort in. But your your um, uh, your your spiritual body is saying that you know you need to be fasting, you need to be praying, you need to be reciting all of these things. But your physical body is saying that you know, let's go for a nap. But then after thirty days, you come to this conclusion where you have some sort of sync. There's there's some sort of harmony between your physical and your spiritual side. Now, next question is to both of you. Please do jump in. Um, in Islam, we taught the practicing gratitude can help us feel less dysphoric in life. How might this apply to someone? experiencing extreme difficulty like severe debt, um, homelessness, um, and how can we remain grateful during difficult times? And other than practicing gratitude, how can you attain true happiness through religion? I swear we have two more guests. I think we have one. No. Okay. Both of you. Please go ahead, Brother Daniel. Yeah, so uh, I'll probably start... Uh, by using a quote uh, from uh, um, President Nixon, um, he once said that unless you've been to the deepest valleys, mm. you will never know how beautiful it is to be on the highest mountain. You've got to go through the lows to uh, to be. Uh, to 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 really uh, understand uh, the the highest to 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 um, what's the word to to be to be really thankful mm. for uh, for the best moments in your life. Uh, you know, I, I um, there is this um, uh, this this popular uh, uh, TV series. Um, uh, I forget the name. The Korean series. Um, what's what's uh, the, the most popular on on Netflix? 
what's what's the name, brother? Please help me out watch, here. I don't watch Sorry. Sorry. Um, um, yeah, yeah, right. Yes, uh, no, yeah, brother. Right. Brother, <laughs> brother yeah, can right. you uh, help me out here? The <laughs> one in which they, everybody is killed. Netflix. Uh, you know um, what Netflix is? <laughs> I know what Netflix. <laughs> You got me. Yeah. You got me. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you know, in which they. Oh, God. Yes, it is a Friday afternoon. You're supposed to kill people. Uh, okay. Okay. You and, look and, at me like. Like, oh. So, anyways. I know which one you're talking about. So, so anyways. Something uh, with. No. Okay. It's, it's a fish let's, or something. Let's like move that. on. Octopus? No. No, no, no. no let's no, move no. on. Yes. So it's um, a violent series. It, it, it is a violent <laughs> series, but it's a, it's the most popular. Squid one Games. Netflix. Squid Games. Squid Games. That's octopus. it. That's well, it. Something Thank with octopus, much, wasn't yes. it? No, no. That, Squid that, that in, 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 I, I didn't remember in that. The final it, it was our producer on, who told or, us. Or the, or the second last episode, this one of the actors say that the reason he invented this game in which everybody ends up being killed except for one person is that when you have when you have all the money in the world you forget what happiness looks like wow you almost forget what happiness is hmm. when you have everything hmm and that's when you look for excitement in other areas in this particular case by killing other people or watching other people getting killed in a game so Yeah so that's the answer to your question yes they their life is about um highs and lows is about ups and downs but you will never be able to appreciate the highs unless you've been through the lows brother Rosa I think it's similar to what what brother Daniel mentioned I I always uh, think I think um it's <clears throat> my, my dad used to say this as well but I th- I'm sure it's not his quote but um from from what we've learned is that we the reason why we fall into this trap of um oh i i have such a bad life oh uh, it's it's so it's so bad oh it's everything is going down the hill is it because we always look at those who have more than us mm. i'm not saying that you shouldn't aspire to 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 achieve higher i'm not saying that you shouldn't look to people who have more than you to to give you some sort of incentive to work harder but if to look at them and say oh i wish i had this much or why do they have this much and i don't have that's never a good way to to live your life but instead if you want to be grateful to god almighty yes you are in debt yes you are uh suffering in one way or another but there's always something to be grateful for there's always something to be grateful for because there's always somebody who is in a worse position than you are but how do those people deal with those situations i've come across so many people in 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 poverty i've come across so many people with some sort of ailment some sort of disease uh any kind of problem who had a smile on their face who were grateful for the life that God almighty had given them who were grateful for the experiences and the people that they've met and there was not a single instance of regret i remember one specific person who was a you know a, a friend of ours who passed away sadly a couple of years ago and his holiness had a whole sermon on him two people two actually two friends of mine <clears throat> both of whom were going through jamia through the missionary college here in 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 the uk 
And one of them, Mazar Asan, Brother Mazar Asan, we've done a show on him as well. He That was one of the qualities and one of the characteristics that he had. And, and he displayed till the very end of his life. That I am grateful for the life that God Almighty has given him, uh, given me. I'm not um, sad. I'm not depressed. I'm not uh, angry that God Almighty has afflicted me with or, you know, that life has given me uh, th- this disease. It was never the case. Till the end, he was hopeful. <clears throat> till the end, he was grateful for the things that uh, he, he was bestowed. And I think that's the only way forward. If you go into that 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 side of things that, oh, why and why and why, first of all, in my eyes, I'll be very honest with you, I'll be very blunt with you here, in my eyes, that's 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 shirk. Mm-hmm. That's that's a very fine line between what what is allowed and what is not. From my perspective, the, the, the notion of gratitude how can someone be thankful even when they're in severe debt and homelessness um, experiencing? I, in before the fourth uh, extinction event, um, <laughs> I had the experience of working with homeless people. In fact, I worked yeah. with homeless people yeah. for 12 years. And I have, um, I have spoken um, and interviewed, worked alongside with and dealt with homelessness um, from the street level, from rough sleeping. And and I used to think that as well, how you can um how you can be um thankful to God. And when I met for the first time rough sleepers mm. and when I dealt with families who were facing homelessness, I felt ashamed yeah. that how ungrateful yes, I am. Yes, yes. How ungrateful I am because they were being thankful. Hmm. They were think they were doing exactly what Brother Raza just talked about. Because when when me and me representing an organization approached them and, and offered them assistance, they were like, Well, they need it better than yeah, you. They yeah. they needed more than more me. Than, yeah. Go to them. And that idea of them saying they the other people needed more is their thankfulness, their gratefulness yeah. to God Almighty. In action is something we talked about earlier. We talk about lip service. Well, they were living their gratitude. Mm. They were actioning their gratitude. And I'm going to be a little bit more harsh here. If a person gets in debt, and if a person puts themselves in a situation where they're homeless, we always talk about self-reflection. We always need to look at why have we ended up in this situation. Mm. And that's the beginning point. Because no, yes, nobody wants to admit that exactly, mm-hmm. and that's where uh, the, the the you know that's where the, the the mind, the thought process needs to begin of showing gratitude. Mm. Instead of you, you got to forgive yourself first. Yeah, you got to mm. forgive yourself for putting yourself in that situation before you move on and look for other things. Mm. And and. If and in and I've had the, I've been I mean brother, I know brother Raza has been to Africa I've been to Africa I've been to Asia I was thinking about that right now yeah, yeah. and I can assure you um, within the Western world and I and I guess I am generalizing and I and please forgive me for generalizing we have no idea what hardship is yeah. we don't even know how to spell it no nah. and and I always say you know what 
go and have we we talk about debt we talk about homelessness we talk i am talking about people who live on pavements but when they get up in the morning guess what they do they fold the sheet that they slept on on the pavement and they broom the area mm-hmm. they brush the area for where they slept and they thank god that god gave them that space on that pavement mm. and and they thank god for the fact that at the end of the evening they were able to eat maybe um, a, a, a few bites of food to eat, yeah. yet they smile. I, 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 I have been to different shanty towns around the world, busties and favelas, and I can assure you, I have seen people, kids, yeah. smile, play football, um, and welcome you in a manner yeah. that I have yet to see in 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 the developed world with you people with, with the genuineness. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. There's a, there's a few more stories. Yeah, you just brought those memories back. Anyways, um, our next guest for this part of the program is uh, Sister Jazba Yusuf. She's a convert to the Amdiya Muslim community and a member of the Amdiya Muslim Women's Association. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show, Sister Jazba. Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, um, we do. I, I want to apologize in the beginning because the time is very limited. <laughs> um, can I ask you, um, first of all, be- before your conversion to Islam, and fortunately today uh, we won't be listening to that story, but um, inshallah in, in, the, in the future we want to have you back. If I can ask you, had you experienced benefits of any other religion on on your well-being? Um, well, uh, first of all, Jazakallah for um, inviting me, and um, I'm glad you skipped that question. <laughs> I always have the, the short version, the medium version, and the book version. Um, so, in terms, I was just to give a bit of background to your listeners. Um, I grew up in sort of like a semi-atheist, semi. Um, Christian home where um, the science of the Big Bang Theory, uh, experiencing nature and David Attenborough programs were basically the sources of our knowledge within Mm. the home, intermingled with sort of like um, environmentally aware and humanitarian Christian values. And so we had, uh, my parents had lots of friends from lots of different uh, backgrounds. Uh, We did go to um, church. Quite regularly, but not every week. And I, um, I, I knew Muslims and Hindus and Hare Krishnas, and I always felt um, a sense of peace when I was with other people who believed in uh, an ultimate creator. Um, because it's always nice to be around people who, you know, they know there's a bigger purpose in life um, mm. beyond um, consumerism and materialism and just um, uh, worldly goals, as it were, and achievements. Um, and so my basic well-being would feel um, good around these people until they started um, sort of like asking questions or sort of like trying to, uh, not trying to convert me, but just um, I always felt very different and I always had very specific beliefs myself and I do respect everyone else for, for, for their beliefs. So it was always a sense of when I was in a house that was uh, designed to, for the worship of God, I would always feel a sense of peace then. Hmm. So... Um, as a as a brownie guide, we used to have uh, commemorations um, in a Catholic church, for example, and I always used to feel a great sense of peace with, within those traditions, although I didn't participate within them because I found the actual, I didn't connect to the actual um, rituals yeah. um, of worship, but I always felt at peace whenever I was in any, you know, house of God. 
kind of thing. So yeah. So then, putting things into perspective, uh, into into practice, once you've converted, once you started doing all of these rituals and worship and, and different parts, what 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 changed? Uh, what changed when I in, became a Muslim? Yeah, right? in, in in the sense of you know the benefits that you've like, did you see anything? Did you feel anything? Did it increase your happiness? Did it improve your you know your physical well being? Uh, yeah, well, everything everything changed because for me, I always felt very different, and I always had very specific beliefs about uh, Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, because um, I never believed that he died on the cross. Although I studied mm. the Bible, and I was like, nope, he didn't die. He just <laughs> X Y Z happened, uh, but that's another story for another day. But um, I I I really get a sense of peace from what Islam brings and the Holy Quran um, brings because I was around Muslims since I was five years old. Um, I was, um, you know, I was very blessed to go to a very diverse primary school where we had um, vegetarian meat and halal cues for hot dinners. Mm. Um, so I, I was surrounded by that. We used to do um, assemblies um, around the festivals. And so I was very well informed from a very young age. So when I became a teenager and I had um, I had friends of all different faiths who actually wanted to talk about their faith, then I was naturally inclined to Islam then. Mm. And then when my friend, when I was about 15, 16, uh, she told me that she was an MD and that um, I was just so shocked and amazed that there were millions of people around the world that believed the same as me. Mm. And so that's really when my, my journey to embracing Islam uh, really happened. Mm. And I would recommend to anyone that if they, if they, even just studying the word of Islam, which comes from the root word of peace, um, and what and how do we get peace? We get peace from uh, letting go of worries and control. And so when we let go of that sense of uh, control that keeps us in anxiety and worry, um, especially with the mental health crisis that mm. there is in the, in the world today, um, then we can cling on to a, a higher power that we know that we, uh, we don't have to be in control of absolutely everything because we're not placed on the surf to be uh, what I refer to as like angel robots. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are angels, there are robots, and we're, and we're human. Yeah. And so it's, it's, our, it's our job to, to have that sense, find that sense of inner peace Wonderful. from within. So Jazabal Yusuf, thank you very much for, for, for joining us today. And again, apologies for, for cutting you short, but inshallah, we'll get you back on, on to the draft, I'm sure, here very soon, inshallah. Jazakallah and for for joining us today. Assalamu alaikum. Which brings us to the end of today's program. There's one clip of uh, the fourth caliph of the Ambiya Muslim community, that we want to sh- uh, we want to play. Why does one need religion if one is already happy in life? But before we do that, uh, 50 seconds. I want to thank Fez Yahak and Zoram Abusha for researching and producing today's program. 10 seconds for you, boys. Look, uh, root happiness is you. Hmm. It's you who will make that effort to go and read the Quran and read and understand what God Almighty wants from you. It is from within you that you will get your contentment and happiness. He's okay. already taken my 10 seconds. Oh, no. <laughs> the dinosaur. The that I am the dinosaur. <laughs> the T-Rexes of this nation. My goodness. What can we do about this? Jazakallah for joining us today. Inshallah, tomorrow morning, SML is going to be with you at 10 a.m. And don't forget, on Sunday morning, SM, uh, Weekend World with uh, Dr. Hamad Khan. This this week is going to be with you at 10 a.m. And the Draft Time Show will be back on a Monday, Inshallah, from all of us here. Assalamu alaikum. And this is His Holiness. Because God has created you, it is only because of that. Because without this consciousness, you could not even conceive of a God and a reality beyond you. 
and because then you would not even think of a, a direction for and a purpose for your life. So being self-centered in happiness is all right for you, but in a very limited sense. What when you die? Will it end up here? This is the question. Was all that went into creation of you as a perfect being, with a system of eyes, with a very complicated coordination of many parts, which could not have developed by chance. Why was that so? So then you'll be losing your purpose. You'll be too self-centered to think of the, 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 all these things for which you were gradually developed. So it's not essential for you to remain self-centered. Moreover, this phase will be over with the youth. You will grow gradually into the expansion of your relationship, which will no longer remain limited between you and your wife, but in society, this responsibility will uh, evolve and spread out. You will bear children. You will have problems with them. The questions of individuality, morality, rights and responsibilities would crop up. Where will you find your guidance? Because you have lost everything. You are happy with yourself and you are, it is not enough. So the more you grow old, the more will grow the need for spiritual and mental companionship to look out for guidance and for support. So to be self-happy is not enough. It may be misleading. It, it may be disastrous in the end. So be happy, all right. I mean, I have nothing against that. But don't be happy to permit yourself to be cut off for your, from your responsibilities and from understanding the meaning of life.